A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The FT. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Ben Hall. On the show this week, we will be discussing China and its latest effort to counter its economic slowdown. China on Tuesday stunned financial markets with the biggest devaluation of the renminbi in two decades. The central bank said it was a one-off technical adjustment, a step in the process of financial liberalisation. But on Wednesday, it allowed a further depreciation by 1.6%, only to intervene later in the day to dispel fears of a prolonged slide in its currency. The central bank's actions could have profound global consequences. There are also multiple interpretations of why it took this step. China is keen for its currency to be included in the IMF's special drawing right, a basket of reserve currencies, a big step towards reserve status. But the move is also the latest in a series of efforts to prop up flagging growth and falling markets. So is this a liberalisation or a further manipulation? And what are the consequences? Joining me to discuss these latest developments are Gabriel Wildow, our China economy correspondent based in Shanghai, and here in London, James King, our emerging markets editor. Gabe, can I start with you? If China wanted to allow its currency to depreciate, support exports, etc., etc., why would it intervene to curb the fall after only two days? I think Chinese authorities are aware of the risk of opening a sort of Pandora's box. They want the renminbi to depreciate, but they don't want it to depreciate too much. And that's why we've seen simultaneously the weaker guidance rates from a central bank on the one hand, which seem to be encouraging depreciation, while on the other hand, we've seen the central bank come out and say that they don't think economic fundamentals support a prolonged depreciation. And we've seen at least their strong suspicions by foreign exchange traders that the central bank has been intervening directly in the market by selling dollars to staunch the fall in the currency. So, James, does this vindicate those who say that actually this was about financial liberalisation, not about a deliberate depreciation of the currency to boost the export sector? I think those people who take that view will regard this as a vindication. But personally, I'm on the other side of the coin. I've been listening to plenty of analysts who believe that really this move by China shows what a level of distress the Chinese economy is in. And I think if you look at many of the key metrics for the Chinese economy, investment levels, industrial output, capital outflows, exports, you'll see that on all these metrics, China is experiencing distress of a level that it hasn't seen in many years. So in my view, or in the view of several analysts that I'm quoting, China is throwing everything but the kitchen sink at its growth problem right now. It's probably very unlikely that China's growing at 7%, as the official numbers show. In reality, the Chinese economy is probably growing closer to 4%. 
so it needs every little bit of help it can get. And although a 4% uh, depreciation in the renminbi is not going to change China's export fortunes overnight, it is going to help somewhat in combination with several other policy actions it's taking, such as cutting interest rates, cutting the bank required reserve ratios, stimulating investment, etc. But Gabe, there are dangers, though, that this could actually exacerbate the problems by well, encouraging capital outflows, planting or reinforcing the perception of a slowdown and encouraging investors to take their money out. That's right. And I think that's why you saw China move swiftly and unexpectedly in an attempt to catch the market off guard. I think they preferred to take the approach of a one-off or perhaps a rather, you know, within a period of several days, a rather rapid depreciation to sort of get it over with, to pull the Band-Aid off quickly, because that would minimize the potential capital outflow. The real worry about capital outflow comes when there's kind of a slow drip of depreciation happening every day and expectations build and build. If the depreciation happens all at once, then there's no point in taking your capital out rapidly at that point. The question, though, is whether that approach is going to be successful. So we've seen the central bank come out and say, this was a one-off event. Don't get the idea that this is going to continue. And yet there's signs already that investors do have that idea that they don't totally believe those assurances and that they think that if it's happened once, it could happen again, it could continue to happen. And indeed, the market liberalization that the authorities say that they're pursuing, i.e. that that is their commitment now to set the daily guidance rate in reference to where the market wants to trade the renminbi rather than where Chinese government policy would prefer it to trade. If investors take the authorities at their word that that's what they're going to do, then that would appear to reinforce the view that depreciation will continue because with each day that the renminbi depreciates, According to this new system, then the guidance rate would be set then at that lower level. And so it creates a sort of a self-reinforcing cycle of depreciation and weaker guidance and further depreciation. And that's why we've seen the the intervention that we saw uh, late this afternoon to try to, to send a subtler signal to say, wait a second, don't get ahead of ourselves. We're still China and we still favor stability over everything else. And we still have the ability and the intention to uh, keep a handle on things and not allow depreciation to take on a life of its own. Do you think the effort to allow the currency to fall then has ended, essentially? Have have they now decided to backtrack? I mean, there are already people out there suggesting that this has been a botched effort. I'd say it's a little bit early to say that. I mean, I think we're at about 5% now. So once we get towards 10%, I think that's probably the upper limit of what I would expect the authorities want to encourage. Anything beyond 10% would probably seem excessive from their views. So, you know, if we have two or three more days of 1% to 2% depreciation, I think that would be still within expectations. But if it goes further than that, then I think policymakers will start to get worried and investors will start to lose confidence that the depreciation is going to just be a temporary one-off move. James, such a sort of managed, carefully calibrated depreciation, botched or not, isn't really going to convince the IMF, is it, that this is somehow a market liberalisation? That's a very good question. China's aim, and I think many people believe it really is a priority for them, is to see the renminbi included in the special drawing rights basket of currencies under the International Monetary Fund. And 
I believe that there's a lot of debate and a lot of communication between China and the IMF on this issue. This new regime, because it is a new regime, it's not just a depreciation of the currency. They are actually changing the mechanism by which China's currency fluctuates. It does introduce more flexibility into the currency regime, and that is one of the express requirements of the IMF for the inclusion of the renminbi in the SDR. So I think this, on balance, will be a positive for China's campaign to get into the SDR. And I do notice that most analysts these days are predicting around a 60% likelihood that the renminbi will be included when the IMF has its meeting in November. So personally, I'm not of the opinion that what at the moment looks like a rather ungainly move by the People's Bank of China will be regarded as such when November rolls around. Where do you think this leaves broader Chinese economic policy? Is it do anything and everything to prop up growth? Have they essentially abandoned efforts to rebalance the economy away from exports towards consumption? That's a very good question. My view is no, they haven't yet abandoned it, but they are getting closer and closer to crossing some of the red lines that they said they wouldn't cross. The rebalancing effort by the Chinese authorities of their economy has a couple of main aspects. One is to shift from being an investment-led economy to a consumption-driven economy. And the other one is to cut down those industries that are mired in overcapacity. This rebalancing so far has been painful, and it has been achieving both of those aims. But what we're beginning to see now is signs that the Chinese authorities are starting to open the investment taps again, not in a very obvious sort of uh, pump priming way, but in more subtle ways. And the question is, will this then turn back the clock and reverse some of the progress which has been made in cutting down those industries blighted by overcapacity? We'll have to see what happens. But it is looking more and more, in my view, as if the Chinese are finding the pain inherent in this transition a bit too tough to take. Gabe, some people are talking already about a kind of vicious cycle whereby China's woes will be compounded by the burden of dollar-denominated debt, etc., etc., and some additional tensions in the financial system. Do you think that's also the case? Do you, should we be once again sort of reviving the fears of a very hard landing for the Chinese economy? I'm a little bit more optimistic. I think the Chinese government has the tools and the wherewithal to prevent a crisis scenario or a very sharp slowdown. I mean, there's no doubt that the economy is experiencing pain right now. Profits in the corporate sector are falling. The activity indicators like factory output and success and investment, as James has mentioned, are looking bad. But in terms of the problems in the financial system, they're serious but they're controllable. And with China's $3.8 trillion in foreign exchange reserves, they have the ability to bail out systemically important institutions to prevent an acute financial crisis that would lead to a kind of Lehman scenario. I think the, the bigger risk in a financial system is more of the kind of the Japan, the slow malaise scenario where bad debt weigh on the balance sheets of financial institutions and suck some of the vigor and the vitality out of the economy because the more productive firms are not able to get the financing they need. In terms of the dollar-denominated debt, 
It's grown a lot over the last few years. It's still a very small portion of overall debt. I think the focus of policy is going to be on getting the fundamentals when we're talking about investment consumption. If companies can start generating profits again and start repairing their balance sheets, then I don't think that the currency issue, the dollar-denominated debt by itself, will be a major problem so long as the economy is healthy enough to kind of deliver cash flow to these companies. James, finally, if China is sneezing, is the rest of the world going to catch a cold? (laughs) Well, I think the reaction of Asian trading partners of China today shows that they are sniffling at least. We've seen a pretty across-the-board slump in the value of Asian currencies against the dollar. The Malaysian ringgit is down at its lowest level since 1998. The Indonesian rupiah is at a 17-year low. Singapore's dollar fell, Taiwan dollar fell. And the South African rand, which is connected to China because South Africa is a commodities exporter, is at its lowest level since 2001. So, Already, we can see very significant displacement effect from the People's Bank of China's action. How serious this will be in the longer term is a good question. I actually think that it may be a more invidious trend, which turns out to be the most important. And that is that China is at the moment, exporting deflation to the world. China's producer price index, which is the price of goods at the factory gate, is down 5.4% year on year in July. And now that the currency has fallen around 4%, I think, in the last couple of days, that means that China is potentially exporting a deflationary trend in the magnitude of around 9-10%. So that could be quite significant in that a lot of these Asian countries are experiencing growth problems of their own at the moment. The last thing that they really want to contend with is a China-inspired deflationary shock. Okay, that's it for this week. My thanks to Gabriel Wildow and James King. World Weekly is produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. If you enjoyed listening to this, you might like to try our Hard Currency podcast. You can find our latest show at ft.com slash podcasts every Thursday. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.